Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Rosso Santalev. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. Hello, hello, Success Secret Nation, and welcome to this episode of the Success Secret Podcast. In this episode, we are going to be talking about how this one CEO transformed the apartment industry. So my guest in this episode, his name is Mike Kading. He's the CEO of Norhart, a company revolutionizing the apartment industry. After an unexpected tragedy, Mike took the reins of his family business and transformed it into by incorporating innovative technology and efficiencies. Their unique approach has helped and solved chronic construction insufficiencies, resulting in high-quality, cost-effective projects. Mike's mission is to solve America's housing shortage and improve the way people live. So that's a big statement, Mike. Welcome to the Success Secret Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome to have you here. So like, from this introduction, there are two main things that pop up. This is a family business that you took, right? And yeah, you want to solve shortage of apartments, I assume. So first of all, tell the success great nation your story. What happened? Why did you take over your family? Is it like some kind of inheritance in the business? Or what the story there? And why do you think and why do you see there is a problem in regarding apartments and shortages for people to live in? You know, my parents originally started the business and I remember growing up with them and we would race after the local hardware store to get a bunch of supplies and materials to build up our little buildings at the time. My summers were spent building buildings. My winters were in school. And then I went off to college. And in college, I wanted nothing to do with the family business, right? Nobody I does. To... This is always the case. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want anyone to think it was given to me. So I really wrestled with my own ego on that. But what I realized is that deep down, I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. What I started to realize is that we could do that in the world of housing by solving housing affordability. Yeah. So I joined with my dad. We worked together for the first couple of years, but then my dad unexpectedly passed away. Mm, I'm overnight, yeah, overnight uh, I took over this business. It was small at the time, but I didn't really know what I was doing. But if, if I look back, there was some magic in that because I didn't know the way things were supposed to be done. Right, we could start questioning everything. We could start trying to do things differently in this industry. And to get to your second question, the reality is that in the world of manufacturing, 
In the last 60 years, they've improved labor productivity by 760%. Agriculture has improved it by 1,500%. In the world of housing, it's done virtually nothing. It's about the same cost point as it was 60 years ago. And so what we're doing now is we're just applying the innovations from these other industries into the world of construction to drive down the construction costs. Right now, we're achieving about a 20 to 30% reduction in cost. We believe we can achieve a 50% reduction overall. But imagine what that means. Yeah. Someday your rent could be half, your mortgage payment could be half, and that's yeah. what we're trying to solve. Yeah, that's that's very amazing and very ambitious and involves a lot of people, actually. So is this something that you surely do in your business or do you see some other people that are doing the same thing or this is something that you need to know that? We've seen other people do innovative things in other companies. For example, full volumetric construction where they produce entire apartment units and then deliver them and stack them in place. Well, that's great, and it really speeds up the time of construction. It doesn't actually lower costs. Mm. And when we talk with those developers, they're priced at the same price as everyone else. And so really what we're trying to do differently is to solve construction costs, and that's what we're accomplishing. Awesome. So this is, so this is what success means to you in your business, like lowering the cost for apartments and so people would basically get lower mortgages, lower payments on their uh, on their houses, basically. Yeah, so this is what dream, you define success for you and your business? Yeah, my, my dream in my lifetime is to make it so that your rent or your mortgage payment is half. And I honestly think we can do that by making major improvements in this space. Mm, awesome. So what would you say now going into this? What are the things or technologies that you actually are using to implement your vision to do that either now or in the coming future? Uh, do you see things changing or do you think it's the same thing going to be from here to 10 years or 20 years? Yeah, there's a lot changing. And so one of the simple things to do initially is in the world of construction, Typically, your owner is a different company than your general contractor who's coordinating construction, who's a different company from all of your subcontractors, each trade, your plumbers, your electricians, your HVAC, which is different, yet again, from your supply chain. Imagine for a moment if a construction company were to produce a car. You'd have a different company installing the windshield, a different company installing the door, and a different company, yet again, installing the wheel. And then, of course, the wheel company would come up to you and say, hey, I'm so sorry, but we got delayed in another project. And your line would be shut down for a couple of weeks. And when they did come out, they'd be irate because they could only work on one car at a time. Mm -hmm. See, in the world of construction, we see that as normal. But people in manufacturing look at us and say we're insane, right? Why are we doing it that way? So that was one of the first things we do is bring all the work in, under one roof. Then we can start applying some very simple techniques. In the world of manufacturing, they have the assembly line. Mm. Super simple. But how in the world could you take a building and drive it down a line? You can't. But what, what you can do, well, maybe a big, big machine or something. Yeah. Uh, but what you can do is you can take the person 
and move them through the building. So right now, each one of our teams shifts by one unit every five hours. And so if you look at the end of our building, we have a brand new apartment unit completed every five hours. And that one technique alone takes a project that might take 15 months and drives it down to nine. Okay. So again, every five hours, what happens exactly? One apartment finishes? That's right. And so your framers, yeah, your framers move to the next unit. Behind that, the plumbers follow them. Then everyone shifts up and the electricians follow them. But once you get all the way down the end of that line, the cleaners, every five hours, they have finished another fully completed apartment unit. Wow. That's uh, very, actually very innovative and very smart and very, it could help solve problem like of housing like globally because <laughs> when you when you talk about like finishing, we are talking here like a full house, like basically with its separators, with each, each room separate from each other, these kind of things, right? Yeah, it's fully complete. You can move, well, you can't quite move on it into it that moment because you still have to kind of finish the hallways, the common areas. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. You go to our buildings and one end of the building is just dirt. Mm-hmm. And the other end is fully complete and might actually be rented out. No, oh, that's amazing. So, like, but the problem is why, why, why is there a shortage problem of housing? Like, is the normal way of building houses that slow that it cannot afford to to follow up with the demand of or growing or the population of people? Yeah, you know, there's a few factors of why there's a shortage, but ultimately, I think it's because there's a lack of innovation in the space. Mm. Uh, at least in America, we've got such a high demand for new housing. We've that demand is severely outpaced to supply. This has made it so that there is high profit margins to be made in those spaces. So you get you get, I would say, developers who come in that don't necessarily have the residents' perspective in mind. They see the big dollars and say, "Hey, I can come rich." pocket those dollars into my pocket and live an easy life. And I see, I meet a lot of people like that. Nothing wrong with that. They're, they're meeting, you know, the incentives in the marketplace. But one of the key things we're trying to do differently to solve that is we're taking those profits and putting it into the system that builds housing, mm-hmm. right? So we actually have a whole team of engineers on staff. And just yesterday we met with, they, they did a big meeting, a presentation of all the new innovations they created. And honestly, it feels like a meeting from Tesla. Each engineer is like a world expert in their little niche, and they're designing new construction methods, things that have never been seen before. Uh, they have patents behind it. They're actually correcting the standards industry, the the uh, governing bodies, mm. because some of the work that they've done isn't quite right. It's it's that kind of level. So yeah, you can take the profits and make massive improvement. Yeah, exactly. So in general, in business or for entrepreneurs like you being a business or entrepreneur. So how, how do you look at innovation, how it can be done? Like, is it one-man show or do, like you mentioned, it's a team because you need some people to actually work with you and come up with some kind of innovative ideas. So do you think it is easy to come up with these innovative ideas or do you think it's hard? It's easy if you put your mind into it. Uh I think the number one most important thing is hiring the very best people. That's the most important lesson I've ever learned. Uh, The other thing you have to think about is you need to create a culture of improvement, of continuous improvement. 
if you just have a few people at the top or a few engineers coming up with all the new improvements, you can't get to where you need to be. We often say we have 10,000 little problems and I need everyone on staff helping solve those issues. And so we talk a lot about that at orientation, but one kind of fun thing that we do on a regular basis to help inspire that is all the teams create a video every single week to show off improvements that they made on their team. And they're oftentimes nothing major, but they're solving minutes out of their day. Now, if you do that with every team every week, that has a compounding effect, yeah. right? So that's what you really want to get to. Yeah, that's very important. Like <laughs> solving problems, like you mentioned, there could be like 10,000 problems. You take them one by one and uh, you take them, take the compounding effect of solving that problem because sometimes some problem will take maybe five minutes to solve. Some other ones might take like months to solve. So you need to have some co coordination and this culture that you talked about in the business between you and your people to actually work together because if, if people don't work together, no, no compounding success or achievement or certain goal to be, will be achieved in any business exactly. or in life in general. Yeah, if you go on to our sites with each team, they've got, uh, a, you can think of it as a board, but they basically list out where they want to be down to the minute throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And then if they miss their own target, they write why that happened and then what they're doing to solve it. But just to your point, if they can solve it themselves, great, it's done. We empower people to do that. We hand out credit cards like they're candy. And right, people can spend money to solve the problems that they have in front of them. But then if it's a wider issue, that then goes to a team meeting where they work on those issues every single week as a team. In fact, they even have daily huddles just to work on it. Again, the whole thing is about building a process to fix issues. Mm. So now, in your opinion, like, how did you deal with, like, for example, uh, times of stress? Like, I'm sure you had sometimes days that were not good for business in general and or employee that maybe that was not doing as they should be doing. So how did you deal with that? Like, because a lot of like we, we know, like if we talk about big corporations, if people don't perform well, like we saw in, in Elon Musk, for example, what he did, like I mentioned, Elon Musk, he fired like, I guess, half of Twitter staff. So how do you look at things? Like, do you look at them in a positive way that people can be trained, can their performance can be enhanced and improved? How do you see these things? Yeah, so for people, we think we're passionate about hiring the very best people. So that starts with uh, hiring. We'll go through 10,000 applicants just to hire 50 or 100. Uh, and we oftentimes don't even take applicants. We're out there searching for the right people. But when they do get on board, a uh, few stages that people go through, one is there's a trial period for most of the positions where you have two weeks to show what you can do. At the mm -hmm. end of those two weeks, your coworkers will make the decision of whether or not you stay or whether or not you go. And I have seen what amazing teams look like, and I am passionate about creating that. And so the team members go through our values and say, all right, did you line up with all these values? Are you someone that we really want on this team? And if it's anything shy of that, if it's not an absolute, yes, we want them here, uh, then they don't make it past. In fact, the majority of people don't even make it past the trial period. But even that, 
uh, we do regular reviews of our teams and the we, we stole this from Netflix, but it's the keeper test, which is we ask ourselves if a particular employee were to quit, how hard would we fight to change their mind? If our answer is we'd fight tooth and nail to keep them, then they're awesome. They're in a good spot. But if it's anything shy of that, then we start having conversations about how to move them on. Uh, you know, most companies know they want the best people. and Most companies know they don't want the worst ones, but we're, we're different than most is that we don't want the average. And so then we have a conversation. Uh, now, the big thing at the end there is that we support people really well on the way out. And my dream, and we get this quite a bit, my dream is that people actually thank us for letting them go because we can help them move to a job, a place that is a better fit for who they are as a person. Mm, yeah. So in your opinion and your experience in the past years, what do you think are the most, for example, important skills for any human to have, especially, for example, business owners like, like yourself? A great question. I think one is a willingness to take risk and try new things. I was talking with a business uh, just recently. Really great group, really great guys. Um, and I, I wasn't talking to the CEO. I was one step below that. And he said, I'm really wrestling my CEO, because this is a three-generation business, and they're just happy living life the way it's at, right? They want they don't want to upset the apple cart. They don't want to change the status quo. They're kind of just in a comfortable spot in life. And while there's nothing wrong with that, you're not going to change the world with that kind of perspective. And so I think one big thing is just a willingness to try, to fail, to mess up, and then learn and grow from that. You know, one interesting thing I've learned too is that we're so afraid of failure. <laughs> and it's kind of odd because when we're born, we're terrible at everything we do, right? We can't walk, <laughs> we can't talk, we can't do basic arithmetic. So why do we think when we get older that when we try something new, we're gonna be good at it initially, right? So I think that there's a bit of bravery in that of stepping up and just experimenting. Mm, yeah, exactly. It's like the more, it's weird, like the 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 more time passes by and the more we the older we get like we we think we want a more of secure things right we we are afraid to test things out we don't have this courage to try new things to even a little bit to get out of our comfort zone so that happens to us but why do you think is that like in general what why do you think is that have you had this feeling ever I certainly have days where I'm like, I don't feel like it today, right? Uh, and that's normal. That's totally okay. I think what's grounded me so much is I so, you know, my dad died at a young age. It really reminded me how short life really is. Mm. And so for me, I don't want to waste the minutes I have here on earth. And, and the big goal that I want to achieve is solving housing affordability to make a positive impact in the world. If that's my dream, then that really guides my day-to-day -day actions so that I keep aligned with that dream. So I think one thing is if people don't have that end goal in mind, if they're just living for the day, there's nothing wrong with that. You're going to struggle to get to kind of a high level. Mm -hmm. I've seen people who, uh, who say they want to do X, and then their actions today are nothing to do with moving toward X. And it drives me nuts when I see that cognitive dissonance. I think that's the issue. You get home, you're tired, you want to watch TV instead of actually move move the earth forward. 
Mm. So have, have you, for example, had a situation where you have this this one person, for example, that they want to, for example, achieve certain goals, but they are not really working towards that. And what would you say to them if it happened? Or what would you teach them if, like, if you would give them advice about that? Yeah, I've confronted people about that. And, you know, honestly, I've kind of learned to stop giving direct advice on that because unless you want to change where your heart's at, Mm-hmm. Uh, what I say is not going to do do that. So maybe the advice, though, is to make sure, if you really want to make a meaningful impact, make sure it's something you're actually passionate about, you're actually driven toward, that you actually enjoy doing, and that you would do it even if you didn't get paid. And then, uh, you know, it's, I can say it simply, which is just be disciplined, right? You know, it could be as simple as taking your 10-year goal, breaking it down to a one-year goal, a three-year goal, or three-month goal, a one-month goal, a one-week goal, and a today goal. And then every day, setting a new today goal that you're actually accomplishing that goal that you have in front of you. I certainly do that in my own life. Yeah, exactly. That's important. Like you also talked about, about passion. The thing is that usually a lot of us, we live with no passion about anything. Like it's kind of, some people say to, for example, to succeed in business, you don't have to really have passion. You can have, find this market and work on it. And you might succeed, but sometimes if you are going at it every day and it's not working well for you, passion, one of the things that actually makes you want to do it. And a lot of people say it's the thing that you want to do it, even if you are not getting paid for it. So this is why passion comes in important because it gives you, like I mentioned, also the consistency and the determination to keep working on it serving people around it like you are doing with your business like you it's a big and amazing goal that you are doing you want to help people out because having housing a house or an apartment this is one of the most important things that a human can have not a car but a house you 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 mostly likely better off to live in a house than a car (laughs) so yeah yeah i love that yeah it's so true Exactly. So, for example, what do you think there are uh, some kind of uh, tools, resources, or books that help you along the way to learn more about your business, about your industry? Or maybe, for example, if you had some people who taught you other than your family, like some kind of uh, maybe mentors in, in the real estate or apartment building specifically? Um. You know, we certainly have had a lot of mentors. And one thing I try to do is find literal world experts and fly them in to teach us their little niche. And it's incredible, incredible the knowledge you can learn from that. We had a guy recently who is a savant at concrete. He can make concrete clean itself. Incredible. Uh, we had uh, revenue management. So the, the pricing systems that go into things like airlines, but also apartments. We had the guy who literally wrote the original software for all that. Um, so I love learning from the world's best. There's a huge, huge difference between the world expert and the average expert. But as far as books, one of my favorite is No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix. And he talks a lot about this principle of hiring the best people and giving them the freedom and flexibility to do what they do best. So what would you say, for example, 
the people who want to be in business or start a business, like some kind of a takeaway for them to start to push or how they can find, for example, their own ideas, like, or their opportunities where, where they should maybe start or do you think how should they look at things to find this opportunity for them to build a business? Yeah, you know, one of the things I've learned is that it's it's almost better to get started without a clear total, like without your entire plan figured out because the plan you come up with in a vacuum independent of the marketplace is likely not the plan that will actually be successful in the marketplace. Mm. So I recommend to people to start small, make it a side hobby, a side gig and start experimenting, learn what works, what doesn't. It's a rough initial process because uh, initially nothing seems to work. Everything seems to fall apart, um, but you're learning, right? You're learning the 10 things you shouldn't be doing. And with enough iterations like that, you discover like, oh, here is something that I am truly passionate about and can drive things forward. You know, even me understanding housing affordability being like the main thing I'm trying to solve, it took me years to get to that point. Years of, of doing work, we were building apartments and I didn't really fully understand what that dream was. Uh, but I kept working on it day after day. Mm, that's very good advice, actually. A lot of us keep thinking we are we are like hold back and in this frozen in this place of thinking about things. Maybe we think to ourselves, we yeah, wait until we I generate a better idea than this one. When it's actually, if you keep thinking about a better idea, you are not going to start. So that means that you are not going to know of this idea that you had first. It will work. And you can actually pivot along the time to see other ideas, if they work or not, and test them. But if we keep putting ourselves in a place, if I get a better idea, it will never be anything. And it goes back to that fear of failure, right? If you're afraid to fail, then you'll spend all the time planning Mm -hmm. and you'll not spend any time actually learning from the marketplace. Where instead you should spend, you should spend some time planning but then take action and learn from what's going on in real life. Yeah, that's very important. So what would you add to your, uh, finally, here to your topic? Like, do you you think that there's something that I'm asking you about your own business that you can add here? Yeah, I think we talked about, and I'm going to reemphasize this because it was so powerful to us, which is to hire the best people. You know, many of us think that it's really expensive to hire amazing people. And the truth is, it is, right? A cost per person basis, it's very expensive. But what most people fail to understand is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to 10 times as much. I've seen it over and over and over again. So instead of looking at it as a cost per person, Look at it as a cost per unit produced. And when you look at it from that perspective, the best people are actually the least expensive. Mm. So to those who think they can't afford to hire the best people, they just need to get someone on their team. I tell them they can't afford not to. And for us, at least, we went from growing at about 10% per year to once I made that change to doubling in size every single year. Mm, that's amazing. Like also you mentioned having the right people that you will have, I guess, this turnaround. Uh, you will have people that are motivated to actually do the work and work. Not some people slacking off just for the 
Oh yeah, so yeah, many problems some, go some, away. Yeah, exactly. they are great people. You're not yeah, worried you, about the you slacking would feel people. Part of the business. Yeah, and if you if anyone does slack, right, they're just not anywhere near what we want, so we don't keep them around. Mm. Um, and what's really cool too is when you build that kind of group, they become a self uh, enforcing group. They don't want the slacker on their team. They want someone that's making them better. And so it's it's so powerful what happens when you find great people. Mm, amazing. So, Mike, thank you for being here today with me on this episode of the Success Great Podcast. Where can people can learn more about you and about your business and what you do so they can have more information and if they are interested to learn more about this, what you are doing? Maybe they will have this big, ambitious dream like uh, what you want to do, like you want to have houses for all the people, I assume maybe globally in the future. <laughs> yeah. So the best way to find us is to visit our website, norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. And on that website, if you click on the tab called shows, we have a few interesting shows. The most recent is one called Zero to Unicorn. It's about the journey of going from a small business to a billion-dollar enterprise and looking at what that's really like. And the last one that's kind of interesting right now is our new investment platform where people can actually earn high rates of return uh, from the work we're doing.